All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings. Go. 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Boy, isn't it great to be able to praise the Lord? That's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants us to do. 1 Kings chapter 17. We've been talking for the last, uh, well, for this whole year, but, but kind of recently we've been doing a uh, kind of a mini-series, I guess you could call it, on, on the great prayers in the Bible. Our theme this year is to continue in prayer. We've been talking a lot about that, and boy, what an what a underused privilege that we have. We don't pray near enough. We don't pray near enough, and we don't pray near as big as God wants us to pray. Uh, but God gives us so many different prayers in the Bible from different people, not so we can copy them directly or so that we can, you know, quote them directly or recite those prayers, but so we can see how to pray and what to pray for. And we've been talking about a lot of different people, but this morning I want to look at Elijah uh, for a few minutes here. Do you need a miracle from God today? You know, is, is, many of us have prayer requests in our life that, that we just need to have answered. But the truth is that a lot of times we think that our prayers are so big that, that it's impossible for God to answer those prayers. Uh, the devil deceives us into thinking that way. Time, uh, money, people, circumstances do not limit God's power. He can work in any situation. He can work miracles today just like he did back then. God is not limited because today is a different day and age. It doesn't mean that God has lost his ability. It doesn't mean that God's lost his power to do miracles. I think that we've just lost our ability to believe that God can do those miracles, and that's why we don't see him today, right? Doesn't the Bible say that if we have faith the, grain, the size of a grain of mustard seed, that we can move a mountain? When's the last time anybody's watched a mountain move, right? It shows you how small our faith really is. Imagine what we could do with big faith and big prayers, but in 1 Kings chapter 17, and I, I wish we had time to read the entire passage, we don't. So we'll just, we'll just pick and choose as we go through here, and I'll kind of try to tell you the story over these, over these few chapters here. But 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, Ahab was the king, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now, God had told Elijah to go and tell Ahab he was cutting off all the rain, and not just the rain, but the dew as well. Nothing. There was not going to be any, any, any water on the earth. And he didn't tell him how long it was going to be. He just said, there's not going to be any rain. And I'm sure that Ahab didn't think anything of it at the beginning. There was no big deal, you know, until you went a month, and then two months, and then six months, and then a year, and no rain. No rain. Everything dried up. Everything died. And we see as we go throughout the passage that, you know, uh, uh, Ahab is blaming Elijah for all of it, trying to, you know, trying to get Elijah to make it rain again and everything else. We go all the way to the end, and we're going to read through some of these different passages as we go through today. But in, in chapter 18, all of that kind of comes down to this, verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. This is Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel talking to God that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah performed one of the most amazing miracles. He called down fire from heaven. Could you imagine seeing that happen? 
And not only that, but Elijah was, was trying to prove that God had the power to do what Elijah was asking God to do. And so not only did he just put a burnt sacrifice on there and ask God to start that on fire, he dug trenches and he put barrels full of water in those trenches. And he asked God for that fire to fall, and not only did the fire fall and consume the sacrifice, it consumed the water, it consumed the dust, it consumed everything that was there. God gave him well above what he asked for. But imagine asking for fire from heaven. What a big request. But Elijah did it. He prayed that God would do the impossible so that God's power would be known to all of those people who were standing there. During that time, Ahab was the king of Israel. In fact, you can look back just a couple, uh, couple chapters in the first Kings chapter 16. Ahab was serving false gods. He was addicted to sin. In fact, he was the worst king that Israel ever had. It said that in, in, in chapter 16 in verse number 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. This nation needed help. God's people needed a miracle. And the Lord did answer Elijah's prayer for fire. But... From the time that we see Elijah coming to Ahab in the beginning of this passage and telling him that there was not going to be any rain until the time that Elijah called down fire from heaven was a space of three and a half years. Now, Elijah didn't know that that's how long it was going to be. Ahab didn't know how long that was going to be. God didn't tell anybody how long that space was going to be, but it was three and a half years. And during that time, God had to get Elijah to the place where he wanted him to be before he could answer that miraculous prayer. And so this morning, I want to share with you some of the things that Elijah needed in his life that we need in ours if we're going to see the miraculous happen through prayer. So let's pray, and then we'll look at this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it is to be here. I thank you for every person that's here this morning. We're here because we want something from you, and so I pray that you'd give it to us. pray that you would give me the clarity and the wisdom as I preach this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that Elijah had to do that we need to do is this. We need to prepare our hearts. Prepare your heart. Elijah was a great man, but God knew that Elijah was not ready for this answer to prayer. In fact, look back in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 2. Uh, this, is, this is such an interesting uh, dynamic here. Verse number two, And the word of the Lord came unto him, came unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Now here's a very interesting thing. That word Cherith, that the brook Cherith that God sent him to means the cutting place. It means to cut down or to, to cut off. And there, in that uncomfortable place, God sent ravens to bring him food. But God, he, he wanted to cut off the rough edges off of Elijah's life. That's why he brought him there. And think about this. I mean, this is, Elijah is living a life of complete and absolute faith. Go to the brook, stay by the brook, and I'm going to bring birds there to give you food. I mean, I know God did a lot of things like that back in that day, but even back in that day, that would have been something where you're thinking, okay, I hope you're right, because birds bringing me food? I mean, think about if God told you to do that today, you know, how we would say, I don't know about this, 
You know, where's the, I mean, how are birds going to bring me this food? Elijah trusted God. He went down to the brook Cherith, the cutting place, so God could cut the rough edges off of his life. But here's the second thing. God brings him to Zarephath after he goes to the brook Cherith. Because what happens is the, the brook dries up after a little while. There's no more water because obviously there's no rain, there's no dew, there's nothing. And so the brook eventually dries up. And God tells him to go to Zarephath in verse number 9. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Zarephath means the refining place. And that's where a widow woman took care of him. Now, in Jewish culture, really even in any culture, widows don't take care of other people. Other people take care of the widows. Could you imagine the, the embarrassment or the, uh, the, the humility that it must have taken for Elijah to walk over to that woman and say, I'm here to stay with you. Go get me some water. That's the opposite of what you would think would happen. But God was using that as a way to refine Elijah. Uh, God used that situation to polish his life. Elijah, uh, just by his nature, was a man of action. He wasn't one to just sit around and wait. He was always on the go for God. He was always doing something for God. He wasn't sitting down on the sidelines. But God decided to settle Elijah down a little bit. Sometimes God just wants us to stand still. The Bible says that in Psalm 46 in verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I think that so many times is one of the enemies of a heart that's right before God. It's not that we don't desire to have a right heart. It's not that we don't desire righteousness. It's not that we don't desire holiness. I think if I was going to get every, you to raise your hand, everyone would say, yes, I want to be right with God, and I think you would mean it. But the problem is we get so busy so often in our lives that we don't sit still and let God work on us. We don't let God show us the things that we need to change. We don't let God move in our hearts because we're so busy just going, 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 going. And you know, sometimes that's why God allows something to happen in our lives that drops you into a hospital bed where you can't move. Because we can't learn that lesson on our own a lot of times. God wants us to just stand still. And let him work in our lives. Let him move. And that's what he had to do with Elijah. Now, he didn't drop him on a sick bed, but he put him in a place where he was just sitting. I mean, imagine sitting by a brook long enough that the thing dries up. That's a long time. Imagine going to Zarephath and just sitting in the house of a widow woman. That's a long time. But God was trying to get him to just be still. If you want answers to your prayers, you have to let God chip away at your life. You have to let God refine your life. For three and a half years, God was getting Elijah ready. For us, it may be five years. It may be 10. It may be 20 years that God is using that time to refine us. Don't quit on God if everything doesn't come to pass in your timeline. He might just be working on your heart. You know, for me, I had everything planned out in my life. By the time I got to college, I knew everything that was going to happen for the rest of my life. I knew who I was going to marry. I knew where I was going to go. I was planning to go into the ministry. I was going to go to Mexico to be a missionary. I had everything planned out. And essentially what I had said is, God, here's the plans. And I, and I wasn't telling God that I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. But essentially what I said was, here's my plans. Sign it at the bottom so that I can tell everybody that this is your will for my life. And God said, hang on. It's not my will for your life. It's, it's commendable. I want you to want to serve me. I want you to want to live for me. But that's not what I want for your life. 
And so God allowed some things to happen, and it, nothing, nothing, you know, in the grand scheme of things, nothing, you know, tremendously dramatic to anybody else, but for me it was. And God used those verses, the verses that we read this morning, Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 13. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. In other words, what God is saying is, I'm not out to get you. I'm not trying to make your life miserable. I'm doing these things because I'm trying to cut you down and refine you so that you can be usable for me. I have a plan for your life, and I can see the end from the beginning. You can't. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you that expected end. I'm trying to get you to point B. You're at point A right now, and you're trying to get there on your own. Just let me do the work. And that's, you know, for, for years, for years, even, even after I found my wife. Of course, I, I was working on staff up in Indiana at the church up there, and I, I called Pastor Brothers to ask him if I could marry his daughter. And he said, well, look, you need, an assistant, you need a wife, I need an assistant pastor, why don't you come down and work for me? He didn't say that in those words necessarily, but that's the way that it worked out. So I, it, it worked out really well. Even when I was down there as an assistant pastor for all of those years, I felt like I was still going to go to the mission field. And everything that I did was kind of with that in mind. And I, was, I worked on staff for six years before God really started working on my heart that this is not what I want you to do. I want you to start a church. And I had told everybody for years and years and years, I was going to be a missionary. I'm going to be a missionary to Mexico. You know, I, I, I did this over and over and over and over again. And so now I've got to go back and tell everybody, well, I was wrong. I didn't actually get called to the mission field. And, and again, there's nothing. Uh, what God taught me through all of that stuff was that a burden for the mission field is not necessarily a call to it. Nothing wrong with having a burden for the mission field and wanting to be able to go and be used by God. But if you're in a place where God doesn't want you to be, even if it's a good place, then God's not going to use you the way that he could use you. And the same thing is true of Elijah. If Elijah didn't go to that brook Cherith, and if Elijah didn't go to Zarephath, then God wouldn't have been able to, to cut him down and to refine him the way that he wanted to refine him. And he wouldn't have been able to use him the way that God eventually used him. See, that, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be busy for God while you're waiting on him, but your timing may not always be God's timing. Somebody said it like this a long time ago. God may be slow, but he's always on time. God may be slow, but he's always on time. Because our timing is not always God's timing. We want to go, 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 go. Get it done. Move, move. I, I need answers. I need to know what's going on. Where am I going next? Right? I remember when I was in college sitting there thinking, if I could just look into a crystal ball, see who I'm going to marry and where I'm going to be in five or ten years, I'll, I'll be fine to wait that amount of time as long as I know. What, you know, waiting and, and not knowing is the hard part about it, but that's where God's trying to get us to wait on him. And obviously, you're not going to look into a crystal ball and see who you're going to marry and where you're going to be in 10 years. And honestly, from the time that I was in college until 10 years later, I never would have guessed that I would have been in the position where I was. And if, and if God, you know, if, if I had been able to look into a crystal ball, I would think, what is God doing? This doesn't even make any sense. But God knows what he's doing, and he's working us to get, to, get us to that point where he wants us to be. We have to have a heart that's prepared. He can refine you into what he wants you to be before you're usable to him. You remember what happened with Moses? Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's house learning how to be a somebody. And then God put him on the backside of the wilderness, and for 40 years, Moses learned how to be a nobody. And then after 80 years, most of us think that after 80 years, our life is over, right? Right? 
You're on the downhill slide, and you're almost at the bottom of the hill by the time you get to 80, right? But at 80 years old, God took Moses, a man who was a somebody, who knew how to be a nobody, and he used him for 40 years to lead his people through the wilderness. But God had to take all of that time to refine him and work on him and polish him. And that's the same thing that God wants to do for us. Now, it may not take 80 years. It may take 30 or 40. But that's what he's trying to do. And we have to prepare our hearts. The second thing is this, and we'll move a little quicker, is that we have to learn obedience. Notice the commands that God gave to Elijah and notice his response. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 3. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 3. God said, get thee hence. And if you look in verse number 5, look what he did. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 9. Arise, get thee to Zarephath. 1 Kings 17 and verse number 10. So he arose and went. Elijah obeyed. And we can't expect God to answer our prayers if, if we won't obey him. When it comes to children, God gives children a one-word command. Children, obey. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. He has, uh, God, God gives that time, 18 years or so, for children to master that one command, obey. Children that don't learn how to obey grow up, and they don't, they're, they're not going to be good spouses. They're not going to be, uh, you know, the way, that you, the way that they're trained to obey their parents is the same way that essentially they're going to obey God later on in their life unless God really gets a hold of their heart. But that's, you know, that's, we're God's children, and he expects us to do the same thing with him. Children, obey. That's what we're supposed to do. Uh, we have to learn to do that. Obey every spiritual impulse. If the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and convicts us to intensify our witnessing, we better do it. If the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us about our lack of prayer and our need to pray more, then we better do it. We have to obey before God can use us. That's where conviction during a message comes in. When God convicts your heart during the preaching, uh, you have a choice. Am I going to obey God's prompting? Am I going to come forward and make a decision? Or am I just going to sit here and stay the same? We have a choice every time a message is preached. Every time we open up God's word and read our Bibles and our devotions and something comes across our, the, our, our eyes on the page that, that we know we need to change it, then we have that choice. And if you just learn to obey, then you'll find your life is going to go a whole lot easier and a whole lot smoother. Uh, you'll be at peace with God and with yourself. Now, let me remind you of the story. In fact, turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. I came across this in devotions last night, and I said, man, that fits perfect in with this message this morning. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, Uzziah was a good king. He did everything that God wanted him to do. He, was, he did everything right before God. But he disobeyed, and he paid the price. It says in, in 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 16, but when he was strong... His heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. Eighty priests plus Azariah go in to tell Uzziah, don't do this. This is not what you're supposed to do. This is going against the word of the Lord. That's exactly what happens when we preach, right? We preach, thus saith the Lord, don't do this. Don't do this. Verse 18. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. 
Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. You see what happens here? Uzziah decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands. He's going to disobey God. God, he, he obeyed God for his entire life, and God put him into that position of prominence. And then when he became strong, it was to his destruction. He said, you know what? I'm the king. I can go in there and burn this incense if I want to. And the priest said, no, no, you can't. You're not of the house of Aaron. You might be the king, but you can't do this. And he got mad at him. And he had that incense in his hand. He burned it right in front of him. And while he was standing there, God gave him that leprosy right in his forehead. Leprosy was one of the most feared things of the day. Could you imagine seeing someone that you love with a spot of leprosy and knowing what's going to happen? It's going to eat away at their flesh until eventually they die. You know, you see what God did? Uzziah defied God and went into the house of the Lord and, and burned that incense. And God said, all right, I'm going to give you leprosy where not only can you not come into my house, you can't go into anybody's house. He had to live in quarantine for the rest of his life because he disobeyed God. God puts a premium on obedience, and so should we. We can't expect God to answer our prayers, big, big prayers or small prayers, if we're not even obeying him. We have the word of God that clearly spells out the way that we should live, many of the things that we should be doing. We have the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit telling us, do this or don't do that. We just need to learn to obey. Back in 1 Kings chapter 17, prepare your heart. Learn obedience, but also we need to seize opportunities to help others. Elijah did that in 1 Kings chapter 17. In verse number 17, he's there at the widow's house. And it says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sins to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him on his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, thou hast also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son. And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. You see... This widow woman's son died. I mean, think about the faith that it takes to stretch yourself over this widow woman's son and beg God to give him life back. Could you imagine how embarrassing it would have been for Elijah to walk back down the stairs from that loft carrying this son who was still dead? It took a lot of faith for Elijah to say, let me have him. Let me take him up there and let me beg God to give him his life back. And God did it. God did it because of the faith of Elijah. And see, when an opportunity came, he took it. And you might, you might feel like you're too busy to help somebody along their way, whether it's spiritually or physically or any of those things. There are people all around you who are in need. But God wants us to be people-minded. And many times when we are willing to seize an opportunity to help somebody else out, that gives us an opportunity to witness to that person, it gives us an opportunity to show the love of Jesus Christ to that person, and very likely, good opportunity that they'll get saved. Here's another thing, verse uh, chapter 18, 
in verse number 17. We have to prepare our hearts. We have to learn obedience. We have to seize opportunities to help others. But number four, stay bold for Christ. Verse 17 of chapter 18. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, by the way, let me just give you a little backup here, Obadiah. Obadiah was the king's servant. And he, was, he greatly feared the Lord. It says that, I forget exactly what passage uh, or what verse it's in. Um, either way, you can look back on there. Uh, okay, here, here we go. Uh, verse 3. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Obadiah was, was of the same mindset of, of Elijah, exactly the opposite of the direction that Ahab was going in. But Obadiah comes across Elijah, and he, he, you know, he, Elijah tells Obadiah, go tell the king that I'm here. And Obadiah said, nah, I'm not doing that, because if I go tell the king that you're here, you're gonna, the Holy Spirit, God's going to take you out, and I'm going to come back to where you're supposed to meet. You're going to be gone, and I'm going to get killed. I'm not doing that. And, it, and, and you read through that passage, and over and over and over, and finally, Elijah convinces me, he says, I'm not going anywhere. You go tell Ahab that I'm here, and I'll meet with Ahab. So the meeting happens. In verse number 17, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Ahab's blaming Elijah. He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. See, Ahab confronted Elijah and asked him if he was the man that troubled Israel. Elijah wasn't having any of it. He stood up to him. He said, I'm not the one that's done it. You're the one that's done it. You're the one that's gone against the command of God. We have to be bold. We don't, you know, don't be a coward. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Now, here's, a, here's an important part. Elijah did not hate Ahab. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in any of this passage does it say that Elijah had a personal vendetta against Ahab. Nowhere does it say that Elijah hated Ahab. And I think that's, that's so important when it comes to, you know, he didn't like what he was doing, and he spoke out very much against uh, uh, Ahab's sin and everything else. Uh, he was bold to stand up to him, but he didn't hate the man. And, you know, we ought to hate the sin, but we ought to love the sinner. That's something that a lot of people cannot do. People get up and, and scream and holler about, uh, about the, the homosexuals. And, you know, but what happens is they end up hating the homosexuals. People get up and scream and holler about the politicians that are trying to just fundamentally change this country. But what ends up happening is they end up hating those politicians, praying that God would kill them all and everything else. You know, stand up against homosexuality. It's a sin. It's an abomination to God, but we ought to love the sinner. Stand up to the politicians that are trying to change this country and allow these things that are immoral and unjust and everything else. But love the sinner. That's what Jesus Christ did. There's, that's something that's hard to do. Most people fail at it. They hate the sin, and they'll stand up strong against it and everything else, but they also hate the sinner at the same time. Jesus Christ was bold to speak against their sin, but he loved the sinners. He loved me. He loved you. When you were a sinner, we ought to do the same thing. We have to be bold for Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing. Look at verse number 18. We have to prepare our hearts. We have to learn obedience, seize opportunities to help others, stay bold for Christ, and lastly, realize that it's all about God. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. 
And you see that two altars were built on the top of Mount Carmel. The people called in their false gods, and they were trying to bring fire down from heaven. And they started cutting themselves and all of this kind of stuff, but no fire fell. And Elijah built an altar, and he prayed to God. Verse number 37, we already read it, but this is where we come to. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So many of our prayers are, I need this. I want that. I can't get along without this. But after three and a half years, Elijah came to the point in his life and in his ministry where he said, Lord, we need you and we need the people to know that it's all about you. And that's why Elijah didn't ask for rain. He asked for fire because he wanted to show the people who God was. The, the verse that we looked at before, Psalm 46 and verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And then he says this, I will be exalted among the heathen. He is going to be God. We want people to know that it's all about him. It's not about us. We don't pray big prayers so that, God can, so, so that people can look at us and say, wow, look at that person right? We're praying that God would give us this property. We're not doing it so that, God, so that we can say, wow, look at the property we have. We're doing it because we want to have a place where God can work, where, where, where people can be saved, and where God can be glorified, where he can be lifted up. The big prayers that we pray are not for us. They're, they're so that God can be glorified. There are a lot of verses in the Bible that, that, that bring that truth to light. There's just so many to look at, but Romans eleven thirty six: for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1.29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That's what, that's what it's all about. It's about bringing glory to God. When we stop making our prayers about us in terms of making them about him and his glory, then that's when he can answer the prayers. We can get selfish in our requests. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes when we looked at the prayer of Jabez, Jabez prayed that God would bless him. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I, we ought to be praying that God would bless us so that we can use the blessings he gives us for his glory. That's what it's all about. Everything we do ought to be done to bring glory to God. I don't know what your three and a half years may be like. But God's with you through those things. In all of these, this whole passage, you never see one time God leaving Elijah hanging out to dry. Right? He said, go to the brook Cherith. The brook dried up. It wasn't easy. He said, go to Zarephath. Let the widow woman take care of you. It wasn't easy. God was with him that whole time. For those three and a half years, God was preparing Elijah. You may not see it while you're in Cherith. You may not see it while you're in Zarephath. But God does. Two frogs fell into a tub of cream. And one of them looked at the high sides and he said, there's no way I'm getting out of this thing. There's no way I'm coming out alive. So he gave up, sunk to the bottom. That was the end of it for that frog. The other frog said, you know, I'm going to keep swimming. Something might happen. So he started kicking, swimming. Before long, he found himself on a solid platform of butter. He jumped out of that bucket. You know, 
the easy thing to do is to give up. Pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and we don't see an answer. You know what? Give up. Done. Prayed long enough. God's not going to answer it. But it might just be that God is using that time to teach us that patience that we need, to cut off those rough edges, to polish us into what he wants us to be so that he can use us the way that he wants to use us. A woman rushed up to a famed violinist, Fritz, uh, Fritz Chrysler, after a concert. And she was just ecstatic after having listened to him you know, play and do all these things so beautiful. And she said, I'd give my life to play as beautifully as you do. And he looked at that woman and he said, I did. That's what God expects from us. I'd give my life to be a good Christian. That's what you have to do. Give your life to be a good Christian then. I'd give my life to be a prayer warrior like fill in the blank. That's what you have to do to be a prayer warrior. I'd give anything to fill in the blank. That's what you have to do. Give it all. Give it all to God and let him use it. He's trying to use the things that you're going through to prepare you to get you to where he wants you to be. Let him use that time to build you and mold you into what he wants you to be. Prepare your heart. Learn obedience. Seize those opportunities to help others. Stay bold for Jesus Christ. Realize that it's all about God. He wants to be glorified in your life. He wants to do things where he can be lifted up. He will answer those big prayers because he gets the glory for them. But we have to be willing to let him. Don't quit. Don't get frustrated with God because he doesn't come through the way that you expected him to. Today could be the day when God answers your miracle prayer. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep serving. Keep being faithful. Keep trusting him. That's what he expects us to do. And at a time when maybe you're not expecting it, God sends the fire from heaven and it consumes everything. The wood, the stones, sacrifice, the dust, the water, all of it. And he'll give you a bigger answer than you could ever pray for in the first place. We got to be willing to pray those big prayers. Got to be willing to ask God for the miraculous. But beyond that, we got to be willing to let God work on us to get us to the place where he wants us to be so that he can use us to bring glory to himself. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it is to be able to open up your word. God, there's not a lot of people in this, country, in, in this world that get that privilege. And so we thank you for that. What a, it is a blessing. Such a, such a wonderful thing to be able to do. And so I pray that you'd help us not to let it go to waste. Looked at a lot of verses this morning, and I pray that your word would not return unto you void and that it would pierce our hearts the way that it only... You can. And if there is decisions that need to be made in here this morning, that they would. And that you could use us to bring glory to you. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We talk about this often. Nobody's looking around because it's nobody else's business what you do between you and God. But you ought to let God work on your heart. And if God is working on your heart, there's more shame in standing in your seat than there is in walking up to the altar and kneeling down and asking God for whatever it is that he wants you to get. So let's let God work, and if he does, then make that decision for him this morning. As the piano plays, the invitation is open, and you can come.